Well, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, it is a celebration of life. The God of life, every human life. And we're going to talk about this uh, in, in the sermon. But before I do the sermon, we read the word of God together. We're going to do it differently today. You can remain seated. But we're going to have people come up and read the scripture, John 3.16 today, in a number of different languages. We're going to hear the word of God. So let's go. I'm Harriet Smith, and I'm going to be reading uh, in English, John 3:16 from the CSB. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Ellison. I grew up on the island of Java in Indonesia. This is in Javanese. Awit dene gusti Allah anggone ngasihi marang jagat iku nganti masrahat aka hake kang putra ontang anting supaya saben wong kang pracoyo marang panjenange ane ojo nganti nemu karusakan nganti duwe nowo urip langgang. In the national language Indonesian, karena begitu besar kasih Allah akan dunia ini, sehingga Ia telah mengaruniakan anaknya yang tunggal, supaya setiap orang yang percaya kepadanya tidak binasa, melainkan beroleh hidup yang kekal. Amen. I'm Priscilla Strap, and this is John 3:16 in Japanese. I'm Natika Blair, and I'm going to read John 3.16 in Jamaica Patois. For God so loved the world, he gave everyone a we, one and only son, whoever... Whichever one who to believe in him shall never perish, but have life forever. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I'm Candy Gill. I'll be reading John 3.16 in Urdu, which is the national language of Pakistan. Kyuke Kudane Dunya se Asi Mohobatraki, Ke Usne Apne Eklota Beta Bakshtia. Take Jokui Uspe Iman Lai, Halak Naho. Hello, my name is Rosie, and I'm reading in Chinese. Yime o de go shen dai, ho oiga se gai, kuibe kuiga de yat go jai, to my bingo, sung sun hoi, yi ho mo se hai, wing sun. Thank you. My name is Jose Angel Negron, and I'll be reading John 3.16 in Spanish. Juan capítulo 3, versículo 16. Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo, que ha dado su Hijo un geneto. Porque todo aquel que en él cree, no se pierde, mas tenga vida eterna. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Hi, everyone. I'm Gabby, and I'll be reading John 3.16 in French. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son Fils unique, afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. Amen. My name is Ben Yao. Uh, greetings to all brothers and sisters and blessings to you all. I'm reading John 3.16 in Chinese Cantonese. There are many dialects. This is one of them. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I got one more language for you. And that is Greek from the Greek New Testament, which is Koine Greek. Um, the scripture says, Utos God agapisano theos ton kalsman. Osta tonion tomonogani edokin. Ina pasopistevon is avton mi apolete. Help me remember this last part, Jesus. Mi apolete ek ala eki zoin ionion. That's in Greek. Amen? Amen. I, I wanted to do that because. John 3.16 is such a well-known scripture for people, even people that aren't in church. People know John 3.16. They've heard of John 3.16. But it's one thing to know about it, to hear about it, to be able to recite it in whatever language. But the truth that's contained there is the most important foundational truth that any person will ever actually know. And that is Jesus loves me. Even me, Jesus loves me. He cares about me. My life matters to the God of the universe. God's love is the absolute, fundamental building block of ongoing transformational growth for any person. If you don't get that, if you don't understand the depth and the power of the love of God, you're not going to grow in him. That's a foundational truth. But there, there's a second truth that goes right along with that, and that is this. God loves not only me, he loves me, even me, but he loves every single human being in this world. And that second truth means this. You will never run into a person in the course of your life who you cannot say to that person, God loves you. That's just a reality for us. Let me, let me make it plain this way in my own life. Uh, we see these two, tr uh, two truths in, in this life, but I just want to tell you that about 38 years ago or so, God hacked my life with these truths. My life got hijacked and hacked. I don't know if anyone's ever had their email hacked or their Facebook hacked or their identity stolen. Has anyone ever had that? That's too bad. That's happened to me a few times, and it's the worst, right? It's the worst thing. Like, all of a sudden, I'm getting phone calls. I'm getting messages. Hey, Pastor Larry, did you ask me if I could send you this money or this thing? I'm like, no, I didn't do it. 
It wasn't me. When, when you get hacked that way, like your whole world turns around in a moment, especially if it goes viral and a lot of people are getting messages to you. Did you do this? Did you say that? No, I would never say that. I would never do that. But you've been hacked and it is a hot mess, y'all. It's happened to me too many times. I got a message this week from one person. Did you, did you send me this message asking me for that? I'm like, no. I was happy because I only got one message. Usually I've gotten more than that when it's happened. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. I, I said my life got hacked by the love of God in Jesus Christ all those years ago. Amen. And, and, and so there's some similarities and some dissimilarities with getting your email or your Facebook tag. It's similar because everything changes in a moment. You feel overwhelmed by it. There's nothing I can do about it. And, and that is the overwhelming thing. That's what I'm getting at when I say my life got hacked by this love. But there's also some major differences. First of all, getting hacked by the love of God is a good thing, not a bad thing. Amen. I hope you know that 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 that's simple. But but not only that, when you get hacked in your social media or email, the first thing that you're trying to do is fix the hack. Amen. You want to do everything to make it right, to fix it, to make sure it doesn't happen again. But when God hacks your life with his love in Christ Jesus, that's a permanent hack. Amen. It's a hack that will never be turned around. It will always be the same. And if you've had your identity stolen, you know how helpless you feel when money you thought you had is now somewhere else. But when God hacks your identity, he does not steal your, your identity. He gives you your true identity in Christ Jesus, a son or a daughter of the living God. It's not a corrupted identity. It is your true identity. And, and the last thing in this one, God hacks you, God gives you a, 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 an operating system upgrade in your life. You get a brand new operating system, and it's not like an iPhone where a new one's coming out, or Microsoft or Apple, when there's a new one coming out every once in a while. This is the final operating system upgrade that you'll ever need. It is the OSG operating system. Operating system God. It's the forever changed operating system that we now run on. Hashtag hacked by Jesus. Amen. I'm glad to be hacked by Jesus. So we want to jump into the scripture today. John 3, 16. And if we have our slides, go right to the one that says how God loves, if we can get there. But first of all, we want to, we're going to look at three things today from this scripture. How God loves who God loves, and then thirdly, why God loves. So let's dig in to the word of God. First of all, how God loves. The NIV puts it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. Now, I've also translated this myself, and I want you to hear this translation, and we'll go through it. And I'll explain it as we go through the sermon today. But, but here's a personal translation from the Greek. Let me be clear. This is the way that God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son. 
so that every single person who believes in him will not be destroyed, but will have eternal life. We'll kind of explain it as we go through it, some of the nuances of that translation. But here's the question, how does God love us? The first part of that verse is introducing us to that idea. It's going to tell us how he loves us. He loves us this way. This is how. But you know, as we read the scripture, we always need to read it in its context. So let me just look at a few verses before that, starting at verse 13. Jesus is speaking in verse, verses 13 through 15. And the scripture says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. That's John 3, 13 through 15. It's the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. He's pointing back to the Old Testament, to a time when God's people were plagued and snakes were going about Israel and they were biting people and they were dying. But God told Moses to take a stick, to take a stick and put a snake up on that, on that stick and to hold it up. And everyone that looked to that snake on that stick would be healed of what plagued them. He's saying, look back to that. That's what's about to happen now. The Son of Man is going up not on a stick, but on an old rugged cross. And if you will look to him, you will be saved, healed, and delivered. That's the gospel. And so this message is saying, this is how God does it. He does it by the sacrifice of his one and only unique son. There's no one else like him in the universe. This is how God does it. Listen, brothers and sisters, God's love is not just a feeling he has. God's love isn't just an isolated act that he did one time. God's love is his absolute commitment to do for others what they could never do for themselves, even though it costs him what is most precious to him. God's love is in that cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it is. And this challenges every other human notion of love that is so much less than this. Divine love is in God's commitment through total and ultimate sacrifice. In other words, many times we talk about the free grace of God. God's grace and his mercy are free to you and to me. But brothers and sisters, it ain't cheap. It's the most costly gift ever given. And that's good news for us. So we have to start with this understanding how God loves through Christ, how he loves me, even me. But I want to switch to the next part here to look at the next truth, who God loves, who God loves. And, and so let me look at this with uh, the, the translation that I have. It says, let me be clear. This is the way that God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son so that every single person who believes in him will not be destroyed but have eternal life. 
There, there's, there's two ways that we're going to see God's love expressed in this verse. But, but let me just tell you, in this world, love is often a guessing game, isn't it? I, I can remember way back to when I was in middle school and high school, way back in the early 2000s or so. Okay, maybe a few years before that. But I remember when I was in middle school and high school, and, and I had what a lot of young men ha have, is uh, I, I, I started to like girls. And so I liked girls, but I was also deathly afraid of them, if we'll be honest. Some, some guys know what that's like. I like them, but I'm, I'm so afraid. And what, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid if I say, I like you, or I would like to go out on a date with you, I'm going to be knocked down. I'm going to be destroyed. I'm going to be given over to death because you say, you really get a life, brother. So I was deathly afraid of that, so I did the strategic things that we do in this game of who likes who, who loves who, you know, in the world. So you look for hints, you look for little signs, and then you get insider trading information. You go to their friend or your friend that knows their friend of a friend of a friend, and you want to make sure that before you pop that question or even say, do you like me? Before you do that, you want to make sure that everything's all set and it's going to work out just right. But here's the crazy thing. Even if you get it right, even if the right answer comes back in this world, most of the time it doesn't last very long. Right? She said, Yes, we went out on a date, we did this, but within a couple months, like, this person doesn't ever want to see my face again. That's the way this world is, but the love of God is so different. It's an eternal love. And so, who does God love? The scripture says, first of all, God so loved the world. This is what I call the global aspect of God's love. The word world there is the Greek word cosmos. Most of us know that word, the cosmos, the, the universe. But when John uses it here, he's not talking about Jupiter or Pluto, although he loves his whole creation. In this verse, he's specifically talking about human beings. And the Bible is saying God loves all human beings. Now you think, duh, we know that. But Jesus talking about the love of God for every person was a radically, politically incorrect message for a first century Jewish prophet to be teaching. You love the whole world? Are you kidding me? The Jews are being stepped on by the boots of a Roman empire that is taking their money, it's taking their freedoms, it has them yoked up in all kinds of ways. God so loved the world, really? Even Caesar and the Jews, really? Jesus says, the Bible says God loves this world. The, the, the Jews ha had a real simple thing here. The world was divided in a simple way. It's Jew and Gentile. It's us and it's them, and we love some us, but we don't know about the them. I mean, it, it was so bad that, that the Jews even had their first cousins, uh, the, the Samaritans. Now, if you look at Palestine in that time, 
the, the, the southern part of Palestine, Judah and Jerusalem, and then the northern part where you have Galilee, in between them is this area of Samaria. And in Samaria, uh, there were people that had intermarried, Jews who had intermarried with other cultures, and the Jews considered them to be less than dogs. And so you had this mentality, it's us and them, we're going to love us some us, but we, kinda, we can do anything we want with the them. I think about that, and I think about where our world, our culture, even our country is right now, and we have gone into us and then camps whether it's politically, religiously, or otherwise, and Jesus says, stop it. Jesus says, I love them all. If you're left-wing, I love the rightest right-wing person you can ever know. If you're right-wing, I love the leftiest left-left you can ever know. I love them all. This is the radical message of God's love, Jesus' love is different from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every economic status, from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, from the privileged to the marginalized. God's love reigns in this world. But secondly, he not only says God so loved the world, he says that every single person who believes in him. Now, most of our translations say that whoever believes in him. So why am I translating it that way? I'm glad you asked. Because if you look uh, at the scripture, he is trying to emphasize in this part of the verse, God's not just universal love, but God's particular love for people. The grammatical construction there leads me to that, uh, to that translation because he uses a word that means all or every, but in this context where he says every one who believes, it's talking about every single one who believes. Let, let, let me put it this way. Now, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to imagine something that's a little scary. You ready? Imagine for a second that you are God. Now, that's scary, y'all. I don't know about you, but that's scary. But imagine you're God, and where would God be on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon? He'd be at the Eagles game, okay? So God is, you, you are at the Eagles game. And you brought a friend along with you. And the friend asks you, looking at Lincoln Financial Field, covered with about 70,000 screaming Eagles fans, and you ask, and, and your friend asks you, who do you love here? Now, we might say God would just wave his hand over that whole stadium and says, I love them all. God so loved the world. But what this is getting at is a different truth. It is God saying, going to each individual person, tapping them on the shoulder and saying, I love this one. And I love this one. And I love this one. And I love this one. Can you imagine what that is like? So God is saying in a very particular way that I love each and every one. That is the message that is getting that we're getting at here in the particular aspect of God's love. So let's let's break this down and talk about what that means. When God emphasizes this kind of special love, we see it throughout the scriptures. He emphasizes his love for the poor. 
his love for the abused, his love for the vulnerable. And brothers and sisters, as we celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday, there is no one who is more poor. There was no one who is more easily abused. There was no one who is more vulnerable than a child in his mother's womb. God says, I love that one. I love you. You see, why does God love us so much? It's just one reason and one reason alone. Jed already talked about it. It is not because of anything we've done or will ever do. It is because we are made in his image and likeness. We are image bearers of the living God. Each and every one of us, born and unborn, we are image bearers of the living God. And that life is always sacred. Let me give another application of this. Because God loves marginalized and oppressed people as well. That's a necessary implication of what it means to be pro-life, right? We care for the baby in the womb, but we don't stop there, do we? And I'm so glad that at New Life Church, we have been champions for the unborn, but we've also been, by the grace of God, champions for the born. Amen? And so thank God for each and every one of you who has stepped up to do foster care and to care for a child going through a crisis, a family in crisis, and you've stepped up by the love of God and says we care enough to change our lives to do this. Some people get into foster care, don't think it's going to be a big change. It's a big change, y'all. And then we have many other people here who have adopted. You have adopted, you've had a child that says, now we care, we love you, we want you to be a part of our family. Adoption, I'm not telling any adoptive parent anything new. It ain't easy, y'all. It's hard. It's inconvenient. It's difficult. But thank God for so many of you who have stepped up to care for vulnerable young people in Jesus' name. You know, it is said that the original sin of the United States is racism. And particularly the type of racism where people with, from European descent, people like myself, rule over others. Commonly, one term for that is white supremacy. For, for a lot of people, the only in, image that is evoked when we use that terminology of white supremacy is the image of a Ku Klux Klan member or the image of a cruel slave master or maybe an obscene person who is spouting out racist beliefs and hateful language. But the reality in our country is a lot deeper than that. It's woven into the fabric of our institutions in systemic ways. From economics, to education, to criminal justice. Our country has a history. And it is a living history of cruel discrimination against people of color. This is why, and I, I want, I'm going to make this clear for you, why the slogan, Black Lives Matter, is so precious to many people. 
I want to make a distinction right now. It's an important one. I'm not talking about the organization right now, Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about that slogan, Black Lives Matter. This is a statement for many that is helping them to reclaim the dignity as a historically oppressed people. When people use that terminology very often, it's not a repudiation of God's love for the world. It is an application of it. In many ways, it's similar to championing the rights of the unborn and saying these lives are precious to God. Our country has a 400-year history. It was celebrated, if I can use that word, in 2019 of oppression against black and brown people, over 200 years of slavery, over 90 years of Jim Crow laws and legalized terrorism. It includes housing and employment discrimination, unequal education, and an unjust uh, justice system that results in the mass incarceration, particularly of black and brown people. And the sad fact in all of that is that the white church has often been complicit in these things. In reaction to this, many people are saying, when they say black lives matter, they say we matter to God. Amen. So I just want, I want you to hear that as an application of this. When we understand the love of God as he expresses it in John 3.16, we must be careful to put every person under the banner of that amazing love. Whether born or unborn, whether rich or poor, Hispanic, Asian, black, white, Native American, whether disabled or non-disabled, people from any group on earth, God broadcasts his love for all. So now I want to look at the last part of this verse. Not only do we need to know how God loves through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, not only do we need to know who God loves, all people, Every single person made in his image. But now I want to talk just for a minute about why God loves. The idea here is what is the result of this love? And the last part of the verse says that every single person who believes in him will not be destroyed or will not, uh, will not die, but will have eternal life. Who does God love? And why does God love? The verse makes it very clear. God loves so that there will be a people who are saved and who are forever saved from the ravages of sin and who will enjoy a glorious life with him for all eternity. The, two, the next two verses in uh, this scripture make it real clear to us. Verses 17 and 18. Let me look at those verses. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What, what God is saying here is, and, and what he's showing us here, he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He sent 
Jesus to save the world, to save a people for himself who will look to that cross, who will look to Jesus on that cross and said, I believe in you and you are the only hope for my sin and my condition. It's only in Jesus Christ. It is what Jesus calls in John chapter 3, verse 3, as he's talking to Nicodemus, being born again, being born again, having new life in God. God is gathering to himself a family that he loves forever who will be his children and he will be their God. This is amazing stuff, brothers and sisters. The why of God's love is absolutely amazing. The holy, perfect, and almighty one who needs nothing and no one else to make him complete, wanted to have a family of sons and daughters who would share with him forever the blessings of the redeemed creation. I am blessed beyond blessed to be a part of that. Uh, Psalm 103 puts it this way, when we put our trust in him, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And we're his children. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I want to make a very particular application of the scripture right here. Because very often, even when we talk about something like abortion in the church, we act as if it's just something out there. It's just not true. I don't know nothing, but I know this, that abortion has touched the lives of many people who are even in this room today in one way or another. And many people suffer, even as Christians, with the shame and with the guilt of their past, men and women, as Jed talked about before, who have been complicit in taking the life of the unborn. But this is what I want you to know today. This gospel is for you. And it's for all that you will see, all that you will go to, who may be just weighed down and overwhelmed by the reality that I took part in this. But God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sin and guilt are blown away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sin, your guilt, your shame can be blown away by the love of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. We serve a great God. Listen, we can talk about a particular sin, but we all have our particular sins in this room. We all have our particular sins that we had before we came to Christ. And if we be honest, there are things that we are all struggling with today in our flesh. And our hope is in the finished work of Christ. He is the life-giving God. And so I love it. I just want to take one minute if you can do something for me now. If you've already trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior today, 
Or if you haven't, but you're, you're saying, I want to trust him now. Today is my day. I'm going to trust in the Lord today. I'd like you to just do something. That is, I want, I'd love you to cross your hands over your chest like this. And close your eyes. And I'd love you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you today. That you've opened my eyes to believe in you. And that my sin, all of my sin, has been swallowed up in the cross of Christ. I stand before you today, forgiven and cleansed. I declare, based on the truth of your word, that there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no guilt and no shame. That there is no punishment left for my sins. Because Jesus has died in my place. I thank you today, Lord, for freedom from guilt, for freedom from sin and shame. And I ask you today, Lord, to strengthen me to walk with you so that my life might bring, bring great glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me right now and just praise the Lord for a minute. Thank God for the great work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank God for love and for life that comes from him and from him alone. Thank God that he cares for you, not because of what you've done, but because you're made in his image and likeness. Thank God that he is for you.